and tell me, you know, what happened. And I look over to the side and I see Mason standing there and his face is just, he looks like he's seen a ghost. Oh man. And I'm like, what happened? What happened? And the ER doctor told me that I had two seizures. Hello and welcome to Healing Trauma Mamas. I'm your host, Madon Wingo. Thank you for joining us as we share in our stories and experiences of healing from childhood traumas and birth traumas. Listen as we discuss our struggles, our failures, our strengths and our victories, and all those lessons we've learned along the way. Why, hello, Healing Trauma Mamas. Welcome back to the podcast today. Uh, it's hard to believe that um, the summer is already starting and we've got lots been going on. Um, we kind of came back this the second year of the podcast and just just with some amazing stories. I hope you've got to be able to go listen to them. They've they've just been wonderful. And I'm I'm just so thankful that all all you mamas out there that have been willing to come on the podcast and share your story. I get so much out of it every time. And I'm just so truly grateful and thankful that you're you're willing to do that, to be vulnerable and share with the listeners. And today, um today is a podcast episode I have been waiting to do for quite some time. And I knew um, that this was going to be an amazing episode and been looking forward to it, but waiting um, for the right timing. And you mamas out there who might think that I have a great story that I really love to share in my healing process after trauma. However, I'm not quite there yet to, in order to share it. And that's great. That's fine. Um, I want you to just, you know, continue working on your your healing journey and if at some point you feel like, all right, I'm at the place where I'd, I'd like to share um, my story and 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 what what's happened in my life and how I've been healing after trauma, then contact me, please. I would love to hear from you. Um, you can contact uh, us at HealingTraumaMamas at gmail.com. You can get me on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, just look up Healing Trauma Mamas or look up my name, Madon Wingo. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. And with that being said, I'd like to welcome on the podcast, Brandy. Brandy, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Madon. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, I'd like for... Uh, Usually I ask the guests to introduce themselves, but I think I'd like to kind of introduce you for a, a second. Um, Brandy is an amazing mama um, to three beautiful children. And um, last year at this time, I think it's kind of interesting because though we knew of each other, we didn't really know each other at all. Um, our husbands knew each other, um, but we didn't really know each other. We just knew a little bit of each other and kind of a few things that have been going on in each other's lives. And we had no clue what the year was going to bring and how now, I mean, we're almost like family. Our, our families consider each other as a second family and, um, and enjoy each other's company and spending time together. And it's just a, a lot has happened to get there. So that's a little bit of my intro on you, Brandy, but I'd love if you'd like to add some stuff in on your introduction. Uh, no, that sounds really good. And I think uh, kind of moving into my story, we'll kind of hit the big finale of how that all happens. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So so you live in Abilene and um, our husbands happen to work together. And uh, I'd love for you to maybe start at um, a little, maybe a little bit uh, of the beginning of maybe how you became a mom in the first place and your, and your first two amazing blessings. 
Um, well, my, my oldest son, Caden, um, I was a teenage mom with him, kind of a single parent. Um, my husband came into his life when he had just turned six and he has been, um, a father to Caden since then. And I have been so blessed and grateful for everything that he has done and, you know, everything that he has done for Caden, um, that is dad to Caden and always will be. And mm. he's really, truly a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, Aubrey. Oh my goodness. My little Aubrey. <laughs> <laughs> she is my only girl out of two boys and she is a redhead. She is a little feisty fireball. Um, so backing up before Aubrey, um, I got pregnant in 2011 and, um, you know, I made my medical appointments and everything. And, um, I unfortunately had a miscarriage. Um, it was probably about around five to six weeks along, um, kind of at that point where they always say, oh, it could be chemical. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had that miscarriage in, was it September and then uh, of 2011? And then November of 2011, I found out I was pregnant again. And we really weren't even sure if I had lost the first one. Mm. So, um, and I'm just jumping right in. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Okay. So, um, we had followed up with the doctor who had handled my miscarriage before Aubrey. And he told me that, you know, no, this is a completely new pregnancy. We followed your numbers until you zeroed out. Um, so this is legit. You're pregnant. Um, and he, he kind of took me on from there. Um, I was good with Aubrey. I kind of developed a little bit of preeclampsia there towards the end. Um, to where he wasn't really comfortable with me going any further. So I ended up going in to be induced about 38 weeks. And when I went in to be induced, I was already dilated to a four and a half. So he just kind of admitted me and let me roll with it. Good. Um, and she was actually, my, I think my water broke um, the next morning. So I, that was all on my own. Um, I didn't really have any problems with her. Um, what were the signs, what were the signs that you were having? Like, um, maybe just some elevated blood pressure or with her, the last three weeks that I was pregnant, my feet were ginormous. They were so swollen. Mm -hmm. I couldn't wear shoes. Um, I had to kind of get the really wide foot slip on house shoes. And that's what I even wore to work. Um, cause I was still working and I just couldn't fit into anything and they were swollen. Um, my whole body was swollen. I just felt, I felt huge with her. I gained so much weight. Um, and then there, you know, my last few appointments, my blood pressures were kind of elevated to the point where he was just, he wanted to go ahead and deliver. Yeah. Um, that makes so sense. He, and those are signs yeah. of preeclampsia, elevated blood pressure and edema or swelling. Um, so yeah, I definitely. And he that. never officially said that I had preeclampsia, but he said that he felt that I was developing it and he mm-hmm. didn't want it to further uh, and complicate anything. And that I was at that point already where he was comfortable enough inducing me 
um, little did I know I was already dilated that far. Right. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah, that's the cure. That. You know, that's what they say. The <clears throat> cure is for preeclampsia is having a baby. Right. right. So if you're trending that direction so. <laughs> and you're already that far along, then I can see why he kind of was like, let's just go ahead and see about having a baby. And that's great that your body was so ready for that. Yes. I, I was pregnant during the summer with her and Caden had baseball and it was just, it was awful. It was so miserable. Mm, man. How um, did the postpartum go? It was great. I got to spend a full 12 weeks uh, at home with her. Um, I, I'm really not, uh, I can't say that I'm, I'm not a stay at home, uh, not stay at home mom material. I love being home with my kids, but at the same time, I also really enjoy, uh, working and getting out and doing things and talking to other adults and, you know, having the community interaction too. But so the time my FMLA was over, I was ready to go back to work for sure. But, uh, we were, fortunate enough to have a really good friend of ours, uh, babysit. Um, so she never had to go to daycare, uh, as a little infant. Oh, that's great. So that was great. That was, that made me feel a little more, you know, uh, better about going back to work and leaving her. She, she started daycare at 10 months old. Um, she's been at the same daycare since this is her last summer to attend. Hmm. Um, next hmm. year she's going into sixth grade. So when she turns 11, she won't be able to go anymore. And I, I, I quite frankly think that she's ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. So after, after her, how, how long, um, was it until you got pregnant? Were you guys trying for any more or, we always knew that we wanted uh, another one. And so there was close to eight years in between Caden and Aubrey as an age difference. And we kind of wanted Aubrey to get up, you know, good into the toddler stage before we even tried for another one. So our hope was, you know, no more than four years apart um, for Aubrey and another one. Um, unfortunately I got pregnant again in 2015 and, um, you know, I called and made my, um, you know, the OBGYN appointment and everything. Um, and then once again, it was probably the week before my appointment. Um, I had another miscarriage Mm. and I had to go in to do labs and, you know, check the levels and everything to confirm that. And I, I did lose that one as well. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, I know it doesn't seem so far along, but there's still far enough along that, you know, you pass the, I don't even know what you would call it, but it's, it's almost like a little ball, yeah. you know, where it's developing. Yeah, and so it's, it's still, sac. It's still yeah. as a baby that's been growing inside you, even though it was very small, it was, it was growing. And yes. I've been through that as well. And that's, that's hard. It is, it's very traumatic. And then, you know, just seeing it and just, you know, I, it's awful. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and some people think like, oh, you just, you weren't that far enough along. It really didn't, you know, how would you even know? Well, you know, when you pass it, you know, yeah, 
you know. And you had all um, the feelings. Your body had all the hormones going through it that, you yeah. know, was for pregnancy. It was growing to life already, whether whether you realized very long that you were pregnant or not. Um, right. Your body was already doing the work of, of, you know, nurturing a pregnancy. And you go through weeks of that excitement and joy, mm-hmm. you know, of, of just waiting for that first appointment. And then it's just heartbreaking. But and then you already make the plans in your head for that little one. Some, you know, mm-hmm. you start looking at when are we due. you look at, you know, sibling interactions. It's, it's amazing. As soon as we find out that we're pregnant, like we already start making all these big plans immediately for that little one. And when those don't get to come to fruition, it's just, it's very hard on mama. It's very hard, but we, d- we didn't give up. Um, nothing, you know, nothing was ever really planned. It's just kind of one of those happens. It happens. Um, so I, I get pregnant again in 2017 and I, I am praying, I am hopeful this is going to work out. Um, I ended up being pregnant at the same time as one of my, my really good friends. Um, I even got to the point where I, was almost showing a little bit Um, with being my third pregnancy. You know, you sometimes you show sooner. uh, Well, it's actually my fourth pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes you show sooner. And I just had that little baby pooch already Um, seven and a half weeks hit and I lose again. And so it's very traumatizing. And I, I kind of felt very, very low and very down, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. Maybe we're not meant to have another baby. Um, I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. You know, you kind of work through all those feelings that it's all your fault. And, um, same doctor, you know, I went back and we did labs and confirmed. And at, at that point, she basically told me, I kind of fall under that category where it, they, they classify it as RPL. Um, like a reg- reoccurring pregnancy loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm already at a higher risk of miscarriages with each pregnancy because of the amount that I've already had. Um, so we just kind of let that settle. And, you know, at the, at the time, it's kind of like a job transition for Mason and really wasn't good timing, you know, so we, we really didn't um, think anything else about it. Well, in 2018, I ended up pregnant again. And um, this one was with a sweet little Grayson, who everybody tells me is my miracle baby. Mm. Um, so as soon as I found out that I was pregnant, I called the same doctor, um, which I I don't mind sharing her name. I see Dr. Whitney Mascaro um, with Hendrix and she's absolutely amazing. She was great through everything, but um, I contacted her office and instead of making me wait like they normally do, she sent me for lab work the very next day. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm so grateful that she did because we, she found that, um, my body was not producing, uh, oh my gosh, the, the progesterone. progesterone. Yeah. Yes. Um, which you obviously need to mm-hmm. carry a, 
carry, you know, a successful pregnancy. And so she felt that that was the reason why I just kept having all those miscarriages mm-hmm. um, is that my levels were just not increasing as they should. So she immediately started me on the hormone therapies. Um, and I, I had to do the, uh, the vaginal suppositories for 12 weeks. I had to do shots. Um, they were not pleasant mm-hmm, by any means. Uh, it, it was so much hormone coming at me at once. Um, I was, I'd get very emotional I'd have hot flashes. They would make me sick to my stomach and I'd want to throw up. Um, They were brutal. They were pretty rough, especially mixing that in with being pregnant. It's just, it was a lot. Yeah. It was like hyper pregnancy (laughs) symptoms, (laughs) like like to the extreme. Everything was intensified. (laughs) Um, But I kept on trucking. I kept on going. I I did what I needed to. And she, she made sure she was checking my labs every week. Um, she saw me every two weeks. And I'm so grateful for that, that she was very proactive about my care and helping me carry this baby. Um, so very early on. Oh, goodness. I think I found out I was pregnant in July and probably the first second week of August, I just went in for a routine, you know, check up with her. And, um, she saw that I was, I had a a really high amount of uh, protein in my urine. And so she immediately sent me for a renal ultrasound uh, of my kidneys. And unfortunately that is when they diagnosed me with polycystic kidney disease. Mm. So on top of being pregnant, I have this diagnosis of something that I know nothing about. Um, a whole new world for me. I was terrified. Um, I, I remember crying when she told me and asking her if I was going to die. Um, you know, she never laughed or made me feel silly or anything, but she said that she uh, was going to refer me to a high risk care uh, doctor as well as a nephrologist. Mm-hmm. Um, so the rest of my pregnancy, you know, my team uh, consisted of my, my OBGYN. I had a nephrologist and a high risk doctor. And I saw each one of these doctors twice a month. Mm. And it was, it was a lot, a lot of back and forth, a lot of needle poking, a lot of ultrasounds. I have so many ultrasound photos. I can't even begin to tell you there's probably at least a (laughs) hundred. But uh, anyways, they're moving on into that. And that was very, very early in my pregnancy. Um, So I I got in to see a nephrologist um, probably a couple weeks after that. And I wasn't even through my first trimester yet. Um, she was very reassuring, sweet, sweet lady, um, very optimistic. Um, and you know, I, I shared the same concerns with her. She, you know, am am I going to die? What does this mean? Is it going to shorten my life? And she assured me, you know, that I, I would not die from this, that, you know, most people with kidney disease, um, that pass away, 
usually pass away with heart complications and things like that, or some other illnesses, you know, that are kind of inducing the kidney failure as well. Um, but she, she promised me from the get go, you know, if anything ever happened, um, I would refer you for a transplant before we even got to the point of you needing dialysis. Um, you know, she told me that that wasn't the life she wanted for me and that we were going, we we're going to get through it. And, you know, they were going to do everything they could to make sure that I had a successful pregnancy and delivered a healthy baby. So I'm, I hit my, I'm, I am praying five times hard, you know, as hard as normal every day. I am just, I'm kind of in that, in that mode where I just, I, I don't know what to do with myself. I, I'm trying not to worry, but I keep Googling and that never gets you anywhere good. True. <laughs> Google does uh, not make um, a good doctor. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. It does not. Um, so that, that's kind of like early in my pregnancy. Um, and then I, I go to see the high risk doctor and, for her, you know, I was seeing her every other week. Um, she was very consistent with doing uh, anatomy scans and things like that to make sure that the baby was developing properly. Because uh, um, I, I did learn, you know, that polycystic kidney disease, it, it, it is genetic. Um, it does pass, it can pass down. Um, so each one of my children will have a 50% chance of you know, inheriting that from me. Um, Is there testing that they can do um, for so them at a certain age or anything? There is. Um, and, and it's just like an, you know, blood tests and uh, renal scans and everything. But my nephrologist also, um, and, you know, like I said, she's great. She's, mm -hmm. she's, she's a mom and she's, she's just amazing. But she told me that she doesn't recommend it. Um, unless there is a medical need for it. Cause mm -hmm. she said that there's absolutely no need for a child to have to live with that worry or concern. Sure. Yeah. Um, unless so they were having just, some symptoms or something like that. Right. Why cause there to be any issue when there is none? Right. So she just told me unless uh, there was a medical issue or a medical concern for it to so just let them be kids. And then whenever they got to the age to consent for testing themselves and we could look at it at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, I do know, you know, uh, a year and a half ago, Aubrey was in the emergency room with a possible appendicitis and they did a CT scan of her abdomen and her kidneys were good. Awesome. So that was at the same time, you know, I'm just like, Oh, that's not appendicitis. But then again, I'm like, Oh my gosh, they didn't find anything wrong with their kidneys. So that was just kind of like comforting, yeah, you know, to, for sure. to know. Um, but yeah, so I haven't, I haven't, you know, even, I haven't even thought about it. Um, I wish my sister would get tested, but um, I know she won't. So. She doesn't want that worry, I bet. Right. Um, 
So it's a hard road. I'm sure like if you knew that you had a high chance of having something, but you had no issues, like do you go ahead and get the information to find out you do have it and then cause extra stress and worry that of something that might or may not affect you? Or do you just let it go until stuff, something changes to see, you know, that, that you might need to have testing. That's a, that's, I think that, I think probably everybody would make a different decision on that. Yeah. And it's a, it's a lot to carry and to, to, to have it all kind of thrown at me at the beginning of a pregnancy. Um, it was really rough to have all that stress on top yeah. of walking around and worrying, like, am I going to lose this baby too? Um, and just, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. Um, though I tried to stay positive, I, I tried my best, but it's, it was always kind of there in the back of my mind, like something, something's going to go wrong. Something's going to go wrong. Um, but we did find out, uh, probably two years ago, two and a half years ago, we never could figure out where in my family this came from. Um, cause nobody that we knew of had kidney issues. My, you know, my, my mom's side of the family, no, nobody knew of anything. Um, and about two and a half years ago, we, my, my biological dad was diagnosed with polycystic kidney disease. And so I was like, well, there you go. That's mm. it's my, my paternal side. So, um, it, that was interesting to see, you know, yeah. um, so that's why I, I kind of feel I wish I wish my sister would go, but I know she won't she won't do it. So I don't I don't think she wants to worry about having to go through everything yeah, I, I have. I don't know that it would it maybe she just recognizes it wouldn't be good for her that she would stress too much about it or worry too much about it. Yeah. And and there's no cure for it. So there I mean, what can you do except be monitored? Yeah. Um but, you know, back to my um, pregnancy, I continued going to the OBGYN, um, the hormones, you know, that she had started me on, they were, they were working, they were helping. Um, everything was looking good. My numbers were looking good. I got uh, very big, very quickly. Uh, I mean, by December. I probably looked like I was five, six months pregnant. I, I was, I felt like I was huge. Um, well, in one of my routine visits in December, um, with the OBGYN, they decided that they were going to hook me up to a monitor and, you know, do a heart rate check and all that stuff. And, um, my heart rate was really high. Um, the baby heart rate kept kind of fluctuating it would drop and then pick back up and drop and pick back up. So um, they admitted me into the hospital. And I think I was about 23 weeks at the time. Um, And so I got admitted to the hospital. I got a round of steroid shots because my doctor was concerned that she was going to have to deliver because of the heart rate um, of the baby. I got counseling from an EQ doctor, uh, though I thought it was very informative. It was very scary at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the, the thought of having to live to deliver that early, um, 
and knowing, you know, how undeveloped he was, it was, mm-hmm. it was very scary. Um, so I, I laid in the hospital for two weeks and I didn't get to spend Christmas with my kids. We had to send the kids away. Um, you know, my mom took them for a week and then my mother-in-law took them for a week. Um, but the hospital was kind enough to let my husband, uh, bring in all of our Christmas gifts. Um, you know, two weeks before Christmas, (laughs) he brought in all of our Christmas gifts and they let us do an early Christmas with the kids in the hospital before they left. And so that was really fun and really exciting. Uh, but also, you know, also at the same time, I really couldn't get out of bed and enjoy it very much because I was on bed rest. Um, well, they let me out. I think three days after Christmas, I got to go home on strict bed rest. And I was home for a week. And I went into a high risk appointment uh, just for a routine checkup, my ultrasounds, anatomy scans, all of that good stuff. And uh, my doctor said that I had a very, very high amount of amniotic fluid. She kept calling it poly. Yes. And I know that there's a long medical word for that. And yes, probably shouldn't even attempt to say it because I don't even know. Polyhydramnios. <laughs> yeah. You're so great at that. <laughs> it's that but last poly, of the word. Sure. And I was yes. like, oh, I don't know that. We'll stick with poly. <laughs> um, but she, I was uh, at a 46% is what she had told me, which she said was extremely high and put me at a very, very high risk for placenta abruption. So right back to the hospital I go. Mm. (laughs) And uh, that was, oh my gosh, right after New Year's, if not right before, I don't remember exactly when. Um, And I literally, I was in the hospital until I delivered. (laughs) Mm. Um, So I spent most of my second and third trimester in the hospital, but after going into the hospital, it's like, you know, getting put in the hospital for the poly just kind of put into, it was like a domino effect from there. It was just one thing after another, after another, after another. Um, I developed gestational diabetes to the point where I was getting, you know, obviously finger pricked uh, three to four times a day, but I also had to have insulin shots three times a day. Um, my blood pressure was kind of creeping up there, but not to the point where she wanted to put me on medication yet. I had to be, uh, I had to wear the, the stomach monitors twice a day. They stuck them on me for an hour in the morning and an hour at night. Um, you know, I had to go on a a nasty diabetic diet. Mm. I... I still had to do, um, you know, my nephrologist would come see me. I was doing uh, 24-hour urine collections every other week, labs every day. Um, And then kind of about a month into it, my hemoglobin levels just dropped. Um, And so they they were getting kind of worried of the need for blood. And, um, about that time I started all kinds of iron fusions, um, you know, through the IV, 
They were giving me B12 shots and then things are no joke. They hurt. Yeah. Those B12 shots are monsters. Um, but I was doing those. I had the IV fusions. They brought in a hematologist to my care team. Um, she started me on uh, Procreate, I think is what it's called. And it's, um, it's another type of hormone shot um, that they give cancer patients, you know, before surgeries or procedures. Okay. And it basically, it basically kind of goes into your bone marrow and kind of tells your body like, okay, produce the red blood cells. And it's supposed to help increase uh, your hemoglobin levels. And so I started those and those are once a week shots. Um, and because I was doing those, they had to start me on a blood thinner. Um, so they put me on Lovenox and um, those, those I, I did not enjoy. Um, they were shots in my stomach mm. every night. At, at six o'clock. So five forty-five rolled around. I started getting a little antsy, you know, I knew they were coming. Um, but because of the, the procreate they were giving me to increase my hemoglobin levels, I was at a higher risk of blood clots and everything. So that's why I had to have the blood thinner. Um, so just all kinds of stuff, you know, from there. And it's, I felt like a Guinea pig. It was. Sounds like it. Yes. It was, it was really rough. Um, you know, and I know it was hard on my husband as well, you know, working, um, nights and days, you know, he, he'd come in after work and I know he'd be so tired, but he would try to, you know, stay and visit with me as long as he could. Um, and just to help out my mother-in-law, she came and she basically lived at our house and took care of the kids for mm-hmm. us because I was in the hospital and Mason was trying to save his lead time for when I actually delivered. Um, so that, it, that was a blessing to have her, you know, luckily she was retired and she could, she could do that. Um, and I know that was a lot on her because she, she lives in Austin and I know it's not the most comfortable thing for her to, you know, to leave her house unattended for long periods. Um, but she was there and she brought the kids in um, all the time to see me after school. Um, so that was nice. I still got to see him and, oh, I think Mason was on overnights when I delivered. Um, I did get a, oh, I did get another round of steroid shots at, I think close to 32 weeks. Cause she got a little concerned on my blood pressure that I might have to deliver. Um, I ended up, uh, not delivering. So that was good. She was trying to push me as far as she could go every week. She would come in. She'd be like, we did it. <laughs> we made it another week. Um, yeah, it was, she got so excited for me. Um, I still had ultrasounds. I had ultrasounds twice a week. Um, the whole time I was in the hospital, my high risk doctor would come in with her big machine and do scans and all of that stuff. And, Thankfully, you know, he was good the whole time. He did end up uh, turning breech. Um, He did stay that way uh, for a majority of the time. Um, But he also had, you know, a lot of swimming room. 
Yeah, he's got a um, lot of fluid so, to keep flipping. Yeah, in and he doing all kinds of somersaults. They they had a hard time at one point even keeping his heart rate on the monitor because he was just moving around so much. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, That's a lot of fluid. But, yes, it was. I'd ha- I'll have to show you a picture sometime because it, I took a picture in January and probably about a month before I delivered. And even at that time, I, it was just miserable getting out of bed and even going to the bathroom. And, you know, my, my doctor said that I was bigger than most of her patients that were having twins. Wow. So I, I know that I was huge and I, with Grayson, I was all belly. It was all out. Mm -hmm. It was all out in front of me. So this whole time you've been in the hospital since how many weeks? Um, well, I went in at 23 and I stayed for two and then I was only out for like five or six days and got put back in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I stayed there the whole time. That's what I thought. Um, That's a long yeah. time to be at the hospital. It's, I know I took up residency. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that was hard. I mean, I'm so glad your mother-in-law was helping to bring the kids up to you, but it's not like your husband could just stop work and then come stay at the hospital with you. No. I mean, um, it, at least I don't, hard. not many people could do that to take off a couple months of work to just to go stay at the hospital. No. And we, he was trying to save all the leave he could, um, you know, because when I found out I was pregnant, he was just transitioning and into, you know, into Sweetwater. Mm-hmm. And so there really wasn't a whole lot of time available for him to take. So he was trying not to request off anything extra. Um, you know, he just didn't have that flexibility or, um, you know, really seniority to even, you know, feel like he could ask off. Right. And the Um, type of work he does, which I guess we didn't really mention, we just said our husbands work together, but they're they're both police officers and in a small um, community. So if, if one guy's missing that everybody has to, you know, pick up the slack and try to help because it's, it's not like a, you know, an office job that, you know, okay, I'm just not going to do that work for now. It's, it's it's work that, you know, a a body is needed. He's needed in the position. And so that is very difficult to have to continue that work knowing your wife is in the hospital. I can't imagine what was, was going through his mind and, and both of you have to be, you know, separated like that so often. And at the same time, I know you're just trying to just keep a hold of this little one as long as possible. Yes. I, I know it had to have been rough, you know, cause he, he would, when he was working the night shift, you know, he'd get off in the morning, he'd stop by and see me for like 30, 45 minutes, as long as he could hold on. And then he'd have to go home and go to sleep. And then sometimes I wouldn't see him for a few days. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, I know it was hard. Um, they kept me pretty busy though. So it, I wasn't just laid up by myself the whole time. Um, they did bring in uh, occupational therapists uh, daily and they took me for walks and they, um, and, you know, no offense to occupational therapists at all. Um, I'm not a meditator, <laughs> <laughs> but they, they would come in with, you know, the meditation music and have me meditate for 30 minutes and try to calm, you know, my nerve and lower my blood pressure. That part just drove me nuts. I'd rather just get up and go for a walk, but yeah, you know, they did, they did all kinds of things with me. Um, 
I ended up, you know, going out on emergency leave, obviously, uh, when I got put in the hospital. So, and I went out oh, my months before my anticipated FMLA. Um, so I ran out of a uh, sick leave and, you know, thankfully I, I work with a lot of amazing people. And when I ran out of sick leave, I had, um, a ton of leave donated to me, um, to cover, you know, my time. And that was just such a blessing. So the morning of February 22nd, I was, oh, 34 weeks and three days. Um, my doctor, she just, you know, she's so funny. I don't think I could have picked anybody better, but she just kind of busts in the door and she was like, we're having a baby today. Okay. Like, oh my gosh. I hit panic mode <clears throat> like no other. I bet. Mason's still at work. Like he, he had just barely got off work. He was traveling, you know, home and I had to call him and I'm like, she said it's happening today. And he was like, what? I'm not even in town. Okay. So he, what was her deciding he, factor? Did she say? She said that, um, overnight my blood pressure just kind of went like crazy. Okay. They would, they would get really high and then they would go low and then they would kind of be stable and then they would just spike again. And she said that I've, she has pushed me as far as she was comfortable of letting me go. Mm -hmm. And we were going to have a baby. So she brought in the ultrasound and this is like five thirty, five forty-five in the morning. <laughs> I'm still mm -hmm. sleeping when she busts through the door. Um, so she brought in the ultrasound machine and she did an ultrasound. And unfortunately, um, he was still breech. Mm -hmm. So um, she said that we were going uh, to do a C-section. Well, I got really, really nervous. I had not had a C-section before. So I, my nerves and my anxiety just kicked in and my, I was just shaken. Mm -hmm. um, and the only thing I could think about was, can I take a shower? <laughs> Oh, I that was the only thing in my mind because I, I was just thinking like, I'm fixing to have this surgery and I know, you know, I'm not going to be able to soak anything, uh, you know, for a while. And I just, I felt like I needed to take a shower. Maybe that would calm my nerves. So they let me take a shower. Um, then, you know, Mason showed up and they said they were waiting on anesthesiology and, uh, then we'd get, we'd get the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. And so I felt so bad because, you know, he, he had to run home and get a change of clothes and then come back up there. I think he got there probably about seven fifteen, seven thirty, and the anesthesia department took forever. <sighs> they took forever. Um, they didn't come in until close to 11. And by that time, Mason's already passed out on the couch in my of room. Of course he is, after working night shift. Yes. I'm like, oh, he's going to be so mad <laughs> that we're going to have to wake him up. We're, this is going to happen. But they took me back there. I know it's not the epidural. Is it a spinal tap that they give you when? Yeah, they you probably give you a spinal block. Yeah, it's spinal block. Okay. I, I knew it was something different. Mm -hmm. um, but they, they did that. Um, 
and it took forever to kick in on me, which is really weird because mm. normally I, I can't take pain medicines because of the way they make me feel. Um, so this, this just, it took forever and you know, the operating tables, you know, they, they move, they can, yeah, they do. They can tilt you up, they can tilt you down, they can move you to the side. Well, when they strap me down, I just, my anxiety went through the roof. I'm like, Oh my God, what is happening? Yeah. A lot of people um, do that. Oh, that was. And so they strapped me down and I'm like, Oh my goodness. And then I started freaking out mm-hmm. my, the, the, you know, the spinal block thing has not kicked in yet. Cause I could still feel her poking all over mm-hmm. me. And so I was getting really, really worried. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see, somebody coming at me with a needle and I'm like, what is that? What is that? What is that? (laughs) And she just said that she was giving me medicine for anxiety. Like, Oh my goodness. So I get a shot in my arm. They lifted the bed up to where my head was kind of like slanted down to have it like move down towards my stomach. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was like poking me, you know, can you feel this? Can you feel this? And I could still feel everything. So I was really nervous that she was going to start cutting when I could still feel. Um, and then she, she said, uh, can you feel this? And I was like, Oh my gosh, yes, please don't cut me. Please don't cut me. And I could hear Mason laugh. And she was like, I'm already, you're already open. I've already cut you. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, you did. <laughs> I just, I panicked. Well, that that, that can happen a lot. That's a whole lot to be taken in like that and, and strapped down and have all these people around you and doing all this stuff. I've, yeah. I've talked to a lot of women who've had C-sections that have had very similar reactions. Oh, it's, it's very unnerving. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I just, you know, I have a really good friend who um, all of her children have been scheduled C-sections and I'm like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you do it. Like, no. <laughs> I can't. No, the one that I had, I'm just like, my nerves just went through the roof. I can't, once I was strapped down, oh my, that, that's, that was it. Yeah. I, I believe it. Um, but you know, from there, um, it was surprisingly, you know, it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Um, they, I did have, you know, like I said earlier, I felt like a guinea pig. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have an operation room full of people, full of people. Uh, there was the NICU doctor and two nurses from the NICU. I had two normal nurses from the nursery. I had my doctor, her PA. I had two labor and delivery doctor or nurses. I had the anesthesiologist and then the anesthesiologist assistant and then in the back of the room, I had um, like medical students. So wow. I'm like, oh my goodness, That's a lot. so many people, so many people. So when he was born, I couldn't hear him cry and I couldn't see him. Everybody was blocking. Mason walked away from me and I'm like, is he okay? Is he Okay. And I, I couldn't see him, you know, mm-hmm. and I hear the NQ doctor go, my goodness, it's a big boy. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And Something. Then, I, then I heard him cry. Then I heard him cry and I'm like, oh my God, he's okay. Um, he ended up weighing seven pounds, eight ounces. It's amazing. 
and he was the most swollen little baby I had ever seen. Aww. I mean, you know, me having so much fluid, he was so swollen and so big. Um, but I mean, he <laughs> seven pounds and eight ounces and you're almost six weeks premature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was a big boy. <laughs> and you wouldn't even, you know, you wouldn't think he was that big now. Um, but he, he was good. And then, you know, I got, I ended up, uh, we talked about it and we decided that I was going to get my tubes tied because of, you know, just all the complications and everything I had gone through. I didn't feel like, um, you know, having another baby would medically be smart for me. And then, you know, after I delivered, she said, I'm so glad we got this far because I didn't think you were going to make it past that 24 week mark. And so when she said that, I'm like, this explains why every week I made it, she'd come in and she'd be like, we made it another week. (laughs) Oh, she was just very encouraging and very positive. Um, you know, she was great. She also said that she ended up getting about six and a half liters of fluid when she broke my water. Whoa. And so I'm just trying to picture, you know, carrying six liters of cola around my stomach. Oh, that's a lot of fluid. It was a lot. I think I dropped like 20, 26 pounds, like almost instantly. I bet. Like the day after it was so crazy. Um, so I was in recovery and I was starving, you know, cause they didn't let me eat or anything. And I was so hungry. Um, they, they start, Oh, they also started magnesium before I delivered. They started a magnesium drip, uh, because of my blood pressure before I delivered. So I was still on that magnesium, um, in recovery. They, I still hadn't got to see Grayson at that point because um, he was with the nurses and everything. Uh, I hadn't seen Mason um, at that mm. point. My mom was in recovery with me. Um, then the nurse came in and they, they brought me Grayson. And uh, I was so excited. And she said, uh, she said, I figure we would try to do a little skin to skin with you um, to see if it helps him, um, because he, he had some, uh, retracting in his breathing. Uh And so they were going to take him to the knee cue, but they wanted to see if, you know, being with me for a little bit might kind of help that and they could avoid it. Good for them. Because that's what happens with skin to skin. It, it helps regulate baby's heartbeat and the, the baby's respirations. So the baby's breathing and the baby's, um, Heart pulse basically um so that's great that they w- were willing to do that yeah they 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 let me have him for about 20 minutes um and uh oh he was just the cutest little thing uh, mm-hmm. you know so swollen his eyes were like you know really mm-hmm. i don't even know how to explain it they you know they couldn't open all the way um he did have one eye that was not fully when I say fully developed, it was kind of like at an angle and not like straight on his face. Mm -hmm. Um, so 
I did ask about that. And she said with him being, you know, preemie, um, some, most of those uh, issues will work itself out over time. And, and it did, you know, it was amazing to see it kind of to correct itself over uh-huh. the next few months. Um, but I got him for about 20 minutes and then they uh, asked me if I could try to feed him and uh, he wouldn't eat. He wouldn't uh, suck on anything. Uh, he wouldn't take a bottle or anything. So they ended up having to take him to the NICU regardless. Um, they were going to put him, uh, I can't say on the ventilator uh, for the retracting. I don't remember what she had said, but she said the time they got him in there and got the heart monitors and everything hooked up, his breathing regulated. And they didn't have to do that, but they did have to put that feeding tube in. Okay. Um, and he was on a feeding tube. Um, he just wouldn't, he would not eat or nothing. Um, so he was in the NICU. Um, and because of the magnesium and me getting sick and everything, um, they, they didn't want me going into the NICU that night. Um, I, I tried, but I made it a little bit down the hallway and ended up throwing up. And so they made me go back to my room. Um, they said that I was probably trying to do too much, uh, you know, right after delivery and being on the magnesium. And, uh, I did stuff my face quite a bit in, uh, recovery. (laughs) Well, there's a reason for that. I was very hungry. Um, so I didn't get to see him until the next day. I didn't see my husband at all um, after delivery. Like he he stayed in the NICU the whole time um, with Grayson. That's where he slept. Uh, he came to check on me the next morning and uh, help the nurse, uh, you know, get me up and everything and take me to the NICU so that I could see him. Um, and it's... Uh, it was really hard to go in there and see all these little, little bitty babies, you know, that were so much more premature than Grayson or that had all these medical issues. And, you know, uh, and my baby is big, you know, he's so much bigger compared to all the other babies. And other than needing to be on a feeding tube, you know, he didn't have a reason to be there. And it made me feel kind of bad, you know, that I was taking the space for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the nurses told me, you know, he's, he still needs to be there, even though he was bigger and everything. And it was, they were really good. They did all kinds of, you know, they did his little footprints and he had little footprints on his little bed in there. Um, they did the, I got to hold him when he had his feedings and they, they ran it through the tube and everything. Um, it was hard on, you know, my other two kids because they couldn't go in there to, um, see him. Yeah. And, uh, he was in there for two weeks. So he was two weeks old before they even got to see their brother. Um, but only two weeks in the NICU. That's pretty great. Yeah. Um, they, they, at first they had set a goal, you know, that he needed to, to um, do a whole feeding, you know, from a bottle, like three times a day before they would release him. 
And then he was making a little progress, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but he just, he would get so tired trying to, you know, suck from the bottle. He'd fall asleep like a fourth of the way through a feeding. And it seemed like almost impossible for him to meet that goal. And so, um, you know, after one of the evaluations and EQ doctors said that they were, they were going to change his goal um, to as long as he could drink from the bottle, at least 24 ounces in a 24 hour period, like in the day, mm-hmm. um, for four days straight, then, uh, you know, he could, he could leave the NICU. Okay. Um, and that was, that was a lot more, you know, easier to obtain. That was a, a better goal for him because he just, he, he fell asleep during every feeding. He never could finish really? a bottle. No, he never could finish one. Um, I mean, you think like, a minute or two of just, you know, little bitty baby sex. And then he's just snoring away. So it, it was such a workout for him. Hmm. Um, well, so I stayed on magnesium. They kept me in the hospital for six days after delivery um, because they were trying to get my blood pressure under control. They had me on, I think I was on five different medications. Um, And I also wanted to breastfeed. And so they were limited on what they could give me Mm -hmm. because I was still, you know, pumping and trying to, I I couldn't actually physically breastfeed, but I could take my milk bags in there. And that's what they would put into the feeding machine. Um. So they were limited on what they can give me, but they, they felt like they had a, uh, you know, at a, like a manageable combination of medications to help it. And so they released me the sixth day after I delivered. Um, I seemed to be okay. You know, when I went home, um, I, it was really hard to go home without him. Yeah. I can't imagine. So I would go home And, um, you know, I would, uh, have dinner and stuff with the other two. And when, when they went to bed, I, uh, Mason would, you know, take me back up to the hospital and I would stay the night up there. Um, at that point, uh, they had given Grayson a private room in the NICU. Okay. Um, so he had, uh, kind of like a little nursery. He had his own little bed and there was a bathroom and a shower and one of the fold out couch beds and a rocking chair where, uh, you know, one of us could stay the night or, or sleep during the day and stuff to stay with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd go and I'd stay the night and I think the third night or the third day that I was out of the hospital, um, I kept telling Mason, you know, my head hurts. I have this horrible headache my head hurts really bad. And, you know, he told me like, did you take Tylenol? Yes, I took Tylenol, but it's not helping. Um, and I, I took my blood pressure and I looked and I was like, Oh my gosh, this cannot be right. And so I just kind of dismissed it. <laughs> uh, cool. cause it was like in the two hundreds over, you know, the one hundreds like that. This, I've never seen this in my life. This, this machine's messed up. Um, but later, I mean, as the night went on, my head was just 
it was brutal. I don't think I had ever had a headache like that in my life. And I just sat in the chair and cried. And he asked me, you know, what, what do you want to do? Do you want me to take you to the hospital? And, you know, nobody wants to go back to the hospital after they've been there for that long. Yeah. That's so I was, I was really hesitant about that, but I hurt so bad. And I'm like, please just take, just take me and you can drop me off because my mother-in-law at that point had already left to go back home. And, um, it was just me and Mason and the kids. And so, uh, you know, the kids finished dinner and then we loaded up and he took me and he dropped me off at the emergency room. And he said he would check on me uh, in just a little bit and to keep them updated. So I was like, okay. And I went in and I checked in and they asked me what was wrong. And I told them, I said, I I just had a baby. I just got out of the hospital three days ago. I had preeclampsia. Can you call labor and delivery? Because they'll know what to do with me. You know, everybody up in labor and delivery knew me. They knew my case. They knew what was wrong. You know, they would know what to do. And they were like, no, you came to the ER. You need to be treated in the ER. Like, okay, I get that. I get that I need to be treated in the ER, but labor and delivery will know what to do with me. And they just kept telling me like, no, you'll be treated here. Um, so I went into triage and the guy did my vitals and everything and my blood pressure was 224 over 138. And he just kind of looks at me and he was like, don't move. I don't know what to do with you. And I'm like, I'm telling you, call labor and delivery. They will know what to do with me. And it's like, nobody wanted to listen to me. Oh, Nobody wanted to listen to me. And so they immediately took me back to a room and a nurse came in with the IV stuff and I asked her, you know, what they were giving me. And she said, I'm going to give you what we call a headache cocktail. And I'm like, I know why I have a headache. Did you call labor and delivery? She's like, no, um, you need to be treated in the ER before we could take you anywhere for admission. At this point, I'm just like, okay, well, give me something for the headache, but call labor and delivery. And even the ER doctor, um, I don't even remember what his last name is. I remember his first name being Eric and he was like a bald guy. Um, I, to this day, if I see him in public, I could point him out of a crowd. Mm. Uh, His, his face is just like burned in my mind. Um, you know, because it was him saying, you know, no, we're not going to call. No, we're not going to call. Um, you need to be treated here and we'll go from there. And when I knew, you know, when he said what my blood pressure was, I knew why I had the headache. Right. I knew. And so she gives me the IV and she said that it was Tylenol, Benadryl and Phenagrin. Benadryl. I just, I can't take Benadryl. It makes me pass out like no other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's essentially, I remember texting Mason, you know, off and on, like they, you know, they won't call labor and delivery. They're telling me I need to be treated here. They're giving me something for my headache. Um, and I remember trying to send him a message and like everything kind of going blurry, almost like it was shaking. 
And then I just, I don't, the last thing I remember after that was just vaguely waking up with a flashlight in my eyes and people yelling at me, like, mm. do you know your name? Do you know what day it is? Uh, what year were you born? And that freaked me out, you know, cause when you see that on shows or on TV, you know, something happened, you know, there was, there was trauma yeah. somewhere, something yeah. happened. And so I started crying cause they were freaking me out. They didn't tell me, you know, what happened. And I look over to the side and I see Mason standing there and his face is just, he looks like he's seen a ghost. Oh man. And I'm like, what happened? What happened? And the ER doctor told me that I had two seizures. So I immediately, like, I I'm just crying, trying to keep my eyes open, but I can't hold my eyes open. And I, I guess I fell back asleep or shut my eyes. Uh, Cause the next thing I remember um, I was being wheeled down the hallway and it was just like light panel after light panel after light panel. Um, and then I don't remember anything else. Um, and that, that happened on a Saturday night, kind of like really early Sunday morning. Um, I woke up on Tuesday and I was in labor and delivery. And when I, when I woke up, uh, I had a room full of nurses and they were like, welcome back. Did you miss us? Wow. And I'm like, I remember asking one of the nurses, her name was Jennifer. And I was like, why am I up here? And she said, oh, he called uh, uh, the OBGYN on call was uh, Dr. Tadvik and told him what happened and said they were taking me to ICU. And he was basically like, the heck you are. You're bringing her right back up here to me. And Good. that just, that just furiated me because the whole time I was like, call labor and delivery, call mm-hmm. labor and delivery. And they wouldn't do it. Um, and so that's where I ended up. That's where I ended up. Um, I was told that I developed postpartum eclampsia, which is extremely rare. Mm-hmm. Um my doctor said that I basically kind of shook the whole OBGYN network at Hendrick Medical Center. I, they just never had a patient have that happen with them. Um, nobody had ever dealt with it. And once again, I'm like, I'm just a guinea pig. <laughs> of course it happened to me. Well, and then um, them not listening to the patient. <clears throat> And I blame that on the ER. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely blame that on the ER. And um, to this day, I I won't take I myself or my kids to the ER at Hendrix unless I absolutely have to. I will go to one of the standalone emergency rooms. Um, I actually go to the one at the uh, ER Express, I think it's on Buffalo Gap across from Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And they are amazing. They are just amazing over there. And I just can't bring myself to go to the ER at Hendrix. Yeah, that's, um, that makes sense. It has, it's definitely a scar that is just, it's, I hate to say unforgivable, but you know, I, 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 
I believe, you know, there's the forgiveness and everything, but it's just, there's no trust there at all. Of course not. I just, I don't trust what they're doing. Um, you know, and that's not the hospital. I think the hospital is great. Um, the hospital was so good in taking care of me. They always have been. Um, but the ER is just, well, so, so many ERs are not educated on any type of postpartum issues, any type. I've, yeah. I have a friend that I have, have been with her in the ER postpartum before, <laughs> and I kept telling them she's postpartum, she's postpartum. And they were like, no, she had a baby a while ago. I'm like, no, she's still postpartum. This is a postpartum issue. And they just ignored mm-hmm. me and wouldn't listen to us on it at all. And it wasn't. I don't think they understand that it lasts for three months. Yeah, I don't think they understand either. And I mean, even you can you can have postpartum issues for a year. Like there are many, albeit some of them very rare issues that can come up, but up to a year, and they're just not educated at all. And they they don't even ask like the question if you're postpartum, and like they should know. Like a lot of times talk about your breastfeeding well you can't even get medicine because i'm breastfeeding a little one well then they should ask the question wait how old is your little one you know what's yeah. what's going on and you cut telling them and telling them and oh then they just gosh. completely yeah. ignore you i can't imagine well actually i can't imagine i uh you know my story and and all the things <clears throat> and i remember so many times trying to come talk to the er doctors and try to tell them what was going on and try to tell them and they would just either completely ignore me or laugh at me or act like it was, you know, something else. I didn't know what I was talking about. So I get that feeling of just feeling like nobody is listening to me. Nobody, you know, understands what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I just felt like, you know, I mean, I can't even count how many times I told them, like, I know why I have a headache, just call. And then for them to dismiss me, it, it made me feel like, Oh, you're not a doctor or a nurse. You have no idea what you're talking about. Yes. Oh, the, um, the, the egotisticalness of that is just frustrating. So frustrating. It, it was it was pretty rough. Well, because we're it, it's harmful. It's it's not helpful at all. It's a very harmful attitude to have. And you, how many other cases are you going to miss because you have that type of attitude? Right. So. Backing up a little bit, like into my pregnancy, uh, just for a brief second, um, because of the polycystic kidney disease, they were constantly monitoring my kidney function, which during my pregnancy, um, I still remained like in the 70%, which is right. not quite normal, but a lot better. You know, it was, it's only stage one, yeah, essentially. Um, and so moving forward, you know, to developing the postpartum eclampsia and having these seizures and my blood pressure getting so high, um, it dropped my kidney function down to 15%. And that was a, I mean, it was such a steep drop that I never recovered from that. Um, my doctor, my nephrologist, my kidney doctor, she was very confident that I could regain some function to an extent, but it wouldn't be back to where I was at all. Um, And so she felt that all the symptoms that caused these issues with my kidneys were pregnancy related. 
So they were pregnancy related complications that caused the preeclampsia or the, you know, postpartum eclampsia caused the seizures, caused the high blood pressure, caused the kidney function drop. And so she felt that once I got through, you know, my, my postpartum phase that, um, over that time, you know, I could gain a little function back and, and I did, um, I got to the mid twenties and I never really got out of, I never really got higher than that. So for me, you know, I mean, I, I, I really feel that if they would have just listened to me and called labor and delivery, they, they could have, they would have known to start a magnesium drip. Mm-hmm and not given me, you know, the Tylenol or Finagran or Benadryl, they would have known to start that magnesium drip. And we could have avoided those seizures altogether. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm really bitter about that. Uh, but then again, I mean, God had a plan and it is amazing you know, where it has brought me. So, and the fact that you survived that too, I mean, there, there was a lot, there was um, so much. I'm so thankful that because you had already been set up in the, you know, the postpartum in the OB floor or on the OB floor and you had been there for so long and people knew you and stuff. So I'm sure when they finally got information, like who it was, oh my word, she's got to get back up here right away. So they knew you, had you been somebody else where they hadn't spent all that time already on that floor, they may not have acted as quickly as they did for you once they knew where you were. Yes. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful you know, and, and Dr. Tadbeck is a great doctor. They're all amazing over there at Hendricks, all the Hendrick OBGYN. I mean, I saw every single one of them the whole time I was there, you know, I, I caught everybody on rotation. And so I, I'm lucky enough, you know, that they, they all knew who I was and my complications and my history. And so I, I feel like no matter who was on call, they would have done the same thing because of that. So mm-hmm. I am grateful for that. But I did wake up in the OB or in the labor and delivery again. And um, I spent another two and a half weeks in the hospital. Hmm. Um, at that point, uh, Grayson, they, so they were ready to release Grayson from the NICU. And then all this happened to me. And so they kept him for a few days longer um, to see how this was all going to play out. Um, once I was uh, stable enough after waking up, um, they did uh, release him from the NICU. And since he was released, uh, he technically wasn't a patient. So he was under the care of Mason and I. However, because of the seizures and everything, I was not allowed to be alone with him, which was heartbreaking, you know, um, to be, you know, a new mom. And I can't, I I can't even hold my baby if my husband's not in the room with me. Um, So that, that was hard, but that was only for, um, you know, a few days. They wanted to make sure that I was stable and, you know, we weren't going to have any other incidents and everything. Um, so that was the first time that Caden and Aubrey got to meet their brother and they were so excited. Um, 
So once I was really good and stable, they moved me out of labor and delivery. Well, they moved me off that floor and they moved me up to the pediatric floor. Um, so on the pediatric floor in Hendrix, they have some labor and delivery overflow. Um, so their room set up for labor, you know, moms like me who are essentially living in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, they have those set up for them up there. And so since I was more stable and I didn't have to have the constant check-ins and care, they moved me upstairs. Um, the rooms are huge up there, but they haven't, they haven't quite figured out the toilets up there because they're still for little kids. <laughs> <laughs> they were brutal to get on and off of. I bet they were. <laughs> Well, they're the cutest small little things, but especially when you're um, recovering from a C-section too. Yes, I remember, and the shower heads are so low. I remember just laughing, like I don't even know whether to be mad or think it's funny. I like um, I like the choice to laugh. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny. It's definitely funny now, <laughs> but um, it was it was good. So. Um, my nephrologist, she basically asked me, you know, how I was doing breastfeeding. Um, and I was still trying to pump, but I just really wasn't getting hardly anything. And I feel like maybe my body knew that I, I needed to stop, if that makes any sense. Well, it was probably trying to concentrate um, so hard on healing and so hard on just trying to function for you that that producing milk was like an afterthought. It wasn't the it wasn't the focus right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like it like my body knew that. And yeah. I told her, you know, I'm just I'm really not getting anything. I, you know, I really would like to breastfeed, but I, I keep pumping and it's just maybe a tablespoon. Hmm. And so she told me that um, she really feels if, if I was up for it, that, uh, you know, if I, if I wanted to stop, if I was willing to stop, she had a better blood pressure medication that I could go on that would help me a lot better uh, in controlling that. Uh, but I could not breastfeed being on that blood pressure medication. Mm-hmm. And so I had to make a hard decision to, to stop to help myself as well. Um, and so I did that and she put me on uh, lisinopril and I started off on a, on a fairly high dose, I think. Um, and over time I could feel to where that my blood pressure medication was like making my blood pressure too low. Mm-hmm. Cause I would just feel really weird and really dizzy. And so she kept tapering down and then it finally got to the point where I was only taking five milligrams a day. Awesome. Um, which is next to the lowest dose you mm-hmm. can have of that medication. So I was grateful that I got to, you know, go down on that. Cause I really, that's not something that I really wanted to be on a high dose, you know, of medication like that the rest of my life. But, um, so I got out of the hospital, uh, it was the very end of March, almost around my actual due date. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got to spend three weeks at home with him before I had to go back to work. Wow. So 
he was, oh my gosh, 11 weeks old when he started daycare and I got to go back to work. Hmm. So it was, it was a, a long journey, but you know, I, I really am a firm believer on everything happening for a reason. Yeah. So, and that, that is why everybody calls him my little miracle baby. Yeah. Um, he's so healthy. <laughs> he he yeah. is. And he's, he's still, you know, he's still small, but I think he'll eventually grow into himself. Yeah. It takes um, time. You know, I stayed stable for uh, several years and I, I never, I have never prayed for heal not necessarily healing you know I feel like I feel like for me it wasn't obtainable so I always prayed for stability like please just let me be stable um and I got that you know I stayed stable for three years uh in the 20s um I never my kidney function was still too low to ever try any medications to help slow progression. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have, I think your function has to be at a 30% or higher because some of those medications can drop it slightly. Um, so I never could try anything like that. Um, I, I did my best to stay active and exercise and drink lots of water and eat healthier um, you know, I did everything I could, but yeah, <clears throat> but a lot of damage had been done. Those it seizures did. caused those, a those lot seizures, of damage. Yes. yes. And that's why I'm so bitter about that. You know, if they would have just called and just started that magnesium, maybe just maybe it wouldn't have been as bad, mm-hmm. but, um, so on a side note, and this is, after all of this happening, looking back on what I'm about to tell you, it, it makes sense to me. Um, I think before Mason started Sweetwater, um, we were sitting at Abuelo, not Abuelos, uh, Roses. And it was, you know, our family and, you know, Mason's mom and dad and, some friends and everything. And we were uh, at a big table in the party area and we were eating and stuff. I don't even remember why we were there. And this, this random boy came up to my husband uh, with his dad. He, he might've been like nine maybe. And um, the guy walked up, the dad walked up to my husband with this little boy. And he said, um, my son says that he needs to pray for you. And my husband was just like, he was just blown away. And he said that, um, that the little boy said that God was calling him to, to pray for him, um, to be, uh, you know, to be strong. And, you know, at the time we were like, okay. Um, so when he was praying, he was praying for uh, strength and understanding and courage and, you know, things like that. 
And, you know, when he was done, you know, Mason, uh, he gave Mason a hug and Mason shook the, the dad's hand and he told him thank you and everything. And we were all just kind of like, you know, that was random. You know, that had never happened before. And so he starts Sweetwater, you know, and then we're working into this one. <laughs> you know where I'm going with it. I do. <laughs> I'm trying not to cry. Oh, we're, he starts, he starts Sweetwater and, um, he makes friends with Josh and, you know, all the guys and he's, you know, he, he really likes it. Um, I think, you know, he's made a lot of really good friends. And so in May of, um, was that 22? Was it last year? May of 2022. Um, well, in Jan in January of twenty two, I had I had got COVID, and uh, it really wasn't even that bad. I I had more of, you know, the fever, the body aches, the vomiting. Mm -hmm. That's about all I had. Um, so I didn't think anything of it. But then I go for my labs for my kidney doctor appointment in February, and uh, my kidney function had dropped to seventeen, mm. and so. She said that we were going to give it a couple weeks, see if my body recovers from the COVID a little more, redo the labs and kind of go from there. And so I redo the labs um, at the end of February, early March. And uh, I'm it, it came up a little bit, but only to like an 18.5%. And so at that time, um, she said that I told you from the get-go that I'm not going to have you on dialysis. You're too young for that. You have kids. I don't want you to live your life like that. So I'm referring you for a kidney transplant. And things got real. I bet. I can't I, imagine getting I that feel, news. <laughs> I feel like our whole world just kind of shifted. Um, all kinds of thoughts, you know, um, I am O positive and ironically enough, nobody in my family, but my grandpa and my grandpa's siblings, um, had O, um, and I couldn't figure out why that was, but they explained it to me. You know, my, my mom has to have an O gene in order to pass it to me, um, my grandmother was an A positive. My mom is A positive, but my grandfather was O positive. So hmm. the way he explained it is, I guess, A is dominant. Unless you have two O's. I, I don't even understand some of that. Either way, you know, you're getting a gene from both parents. Right. But my mom just ended up getting A, but she still has that O gene. She just doesn't have an O blood type. So when she had me, I got the O gene. And so that is how I have O. Well, nobody in my family is O. Um, with me being O positive, I can only accept from O. Um, so I was really worried that they kept talking about, you know, how long the waiting list was for a deceased donor and your best option is to find a living donor and, I got really discouraged and I kept thinking like, who's going to donate to me? 
It's so emotional. For good reason. We're both going to be a bubbling mess on here, so it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I kept worrying, you know, nobody's going to donate to me. Um, I'm not going to find a living donor. None of my family can help me. And I have a friend at work. She, she is, she's a great person. And she said, I'm O positive. I'll donate to you. And so that just blew my mind, you know, um, cause she's, she's got a little girl of her own too. And she started going through the testing and everything. Well, Mason, you know, I, I don't know what all they talk about at work. <laughs> but Mason had time. <laughs> brought it up at work. And um, Mason is on, uh, you know, obviously he, he was on uh, Josh's shift. Josh was just uh, his sergeant. Which and, is my husband. Um, I think everybody's kind of yes. heard. Yeah. If you've listened, he was on the podcast actually a few podcasts ago. So everybody kind of got to hear um, to hear him talk a little bit. And of course, he didn't mention any of this because yeah. that's the type of person he is. So um, so I guess I don't know how it came up, you know, but it, it came up that, you know, I was so positive and um Josh just so selflessly just I'll donate and I really didn't think he was serious um and then I Mason asked me for the application and I sent it to him and Josh started the whole process so I had two people in the process for me and um Josh you know he um he got he got through a little faster than crystal crystal had some extra stuff, you know, she had to do, but, um, he got through a little faster and he made it to Dallas for evaluations before she did. Well, we had scheduled, um, a dinner, you know, with Madon and her family, uh, was in September. I don't remember the date. (laughs) It was in the middle of September. And, uh, well, towards the end, actually. And <clears throat> I remember pulling up to the house and Josh standing outside with his arms up in the air, like, I've been calling you. I'm like, what? What do you say? He's been calling us. We didn't even know he'd been calling. And he just yelled, you know, I'm a match. And it's just my whole brain, like, I just, what like that was so fast like you're you're what and josh was a match for me for um a kidney donor and so he said that we were having surgery on october 25th which was four weeks away yeah yep so it was so exciting and such a blessing and so shocking that it was it happened so fast because he had just had evaluations like the week before or two weeks before mm-hmm. um and then come to find out he kept saying he was a uh, he was a zero and I, I just really wasn't sure what that meant so I had to ask and um 
So they told me that what he meant by that was um, I had zero antibodies against him. Yeah. So in the process, they take his blood and tissue and mix it with my blood and tissue to see how it interacts together. And there was no negative interaction. So I had zero antibodies against him, which means that he was almost a perfect match for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, would I don't still get how that him. works when he's yeah. O negative. <laughs> I, I, don't th- I don't think the RH factor it has anything to do with it. Yeah. It's just the no. O. Um, but I, I still, you know, will always have that risk of, you know, possible rejection, but because of the fact that I had zero antibodies, my risks are not as high as, you know, if I would have had like a 20% reaction to somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, you know, back to the little boy praying for Mason, you know, years before, Um, it just, it all seemed like God had a plan. It has been lined up, you know, it, it all worked out because of this. He was supposed to be in Sweetwater. Mm -hmm. He was supposed to meet Josh. Josh was supposed to be, you know, a big role in this. And I, I cannot look at it a different way. We agree. It's. It, it was supposed to happen. That was, that was his plan. Um, and, and you can, know, I'm not done. My yeah, journey's not a done. Lot. But we, we did, we, uh, I had my transplant on October 25th and, um, everything essentially went well. Josh recovered well. Um, I'm still, you know, see, I'm back and forth to Dallas all the time. We are making some progress little by little, but you know, the small victories are victories too. Yeah. It's been six months now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Six months, uh, two biopsies, cat <laughs> mm-hmm. scans, ultrasounds, everything. I but mean, great results. Yeah. And I still haven't developed any antibodies. Yep. They they still check me for, you know, uh, any antibodies that I could possibly develop. And I'm still, there's still nothing there. I haven't had any signs of rejection. So it's going well. And it, it is uh, definitely a blessing and Definitely extended our family. Now our dinners, yeah. we call them family dinners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I still remember um, when, when um, I'm trying to remember exactly how it was said, but sweet Aubrey was asking uh, about us being family now. And, and she mentioned how, oh, that's great. Then Ruth and Elizabeth be my sisters. <laughs> uh, I was like, well, kind of like that. Maybe a little more like cousins. But <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, so sweet. And I can just say a little bit to speaking for my husband. Um, you know, it, it's really interesting when you look at perspective and, you know, when we're going through stuff, it's hard for us to see other things, right? We we're focused on, you know, our, our experiences and what's going on with us. And I still always remember like, um, 
thinking back um, because our, our two little boys are only two weeks apart um, right. or three weeks. I don't remember exactly, but they're not very far apart. So I was actually pregnant at the same time you were pregnant. <laughs> Uh, we just didn't know each other then. And um, I was postpartum when you were postpartum. And I was dealing with a lot of issues too, but it was nothing at all like you were dealing with. And I think about that now, like just thinking about perspective, you know, like all the things that I was dealing with. And at the same time, you're in the hospital and you're dealing with all of this. And and I'm only hearing like bits and pieces because, you know, uh, husbands are texting and, and talking and stuff. And all I know is that, Mason's wife is in the hospital and, and I remember hearing something about you being in a coma and that's all I had heard. And then, um, I remember, um, and just full, full honesty here, because I've always tried to be extremely honest on this podcast, um, so that nobody ever feels like they can't be completely honest on here. But I remember being upset, um, because he said, I've got to go back to work. I can't, I can't stay home and help you postpartum. I got to go back to work because Mason has got to be at the hospital. And I remember going, really, I'm having a really rough time here and I need you here and you have to go work because Mason can't be there because she's having a baby too. And I didn't know all of the things that were going on, but honestly, right. I remember feeling that way and being like, wow, I can't believe, you know, and I had no clue what was going to happen with our lives and how they were going to get intertwined and how, I would get to know you and know, you know, all this stuff now, what was going on at that time and, and what you guys were going through. And then I remember when, um, he texted me from work and was just like, Hey, um, I'm going to see if I can be a match for, for Mason's wife. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, he's getting me the paperwork. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and fill it out. I'm already making phone calls. I'm like, um, okay. You know, and I remember when he came home and told me, yeah, I got this scheduled. Uh, they're going to send me the stuff and I got to do it. And then I'm going to have to take a trip to Dallas. And I was like, oh, OK, you know, and when I talked with him about it, I was like just thinking about it. I mean, he knew that I would be absolutely on board. And I remember him at saying, you're like, you're good with that, right? I'm like, well, of course, you know, I don't really know what's happening and what's going on, but of course, yeah. you know, if it could help you somebody. Didn't, you didn't know anything about my pregnancy. I didn't. I didn't know anything about what actually happened. I saw somebody post, I think it was your mom had posted something on Facebook and somebody had shared it on the um, Sweetwater Police Department page. And I saw that. I was like, oh, let me read this. I need to know more about this woman that Josh is trying to donate <laughs> to. So I went on there and I remember reading about it and I was like, oh my word, preeclampsia and all that. And I was like, oh, I, I, you know, now I'm, now I'm finding out all this information. And I remember talking with him later, you know, when everything had, was coming out so great and, and he was looking like he was going to be a perfect match for you. And I remember one of the times that he was talking with me about it and looking like, you know, hey, you know, I'd rather this happen sooner than later for her. You know, she needs this badly right now. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And he asked me about my schedule and what it looked like for me to take time off to be with him in Dallas for the recovery and all of that. And and I remember he just kind of sighed and he looked at me and he smiled so big and he was just like, <sighs> um, he said, I always thought um, that I'd get to be an organ donor after I passed away. And I remember that because he, he, I mean, we had first got married. He, I remember him, I went to renew my driver's license and he was like, whoa, 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 you didn't put organ donor. And I, and I remember like, what? And he was like, you need to put organ donor on there. You know, and I remember he, he always had talked about how that was a great gift that you could give to somebody in death was to be able to be an organ donor. 
And when he sighed that day and looked at me and he was like, I never thought that I could do it while I was still alive. Yeah. And it was a great joy for him. (laughs) Which is such a blessing for me. It makes me feel, you know, a lot better because, you know, you, you don't ever know what they're thinking. Like, you know, I don't ever, you know, I didn't know like if he, if he felt obligated or if he really wanted to do it or, you know, if he was, you know, nervous or worried about himself and, you know, things like that. And he just so selflessly stepped up to help me. And the timing couldn't have been better because Mm -hmm. when I had my blood work done the morning of surgery, you know, my function had dropped to like a 14%, which is right there uh, about to be on dialysis. So it, it was perfect timing. I don't think it could have been set up any better. Well, and I know that he feels like, you know, answer to all your questions, like, no, he wasn't nervous at all. No, he didn't feel obligated whatsoever. He felt like, why wouldn't he do that? Like, oh my word, if I have the option to help somebody to save a life, I'm absolutely going to do it. Right. And and that's just the type of man he is, but I'm, I'm yeah. so thankful that, that, I mean, the Lord put that desire in his heart and of course that he brought us all together and we were able to do that. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, I still, I strongly feel like it was, it was God's plan the whole time. You know, that little boy knew that Mason was going to need courage you know, to, and we, you know, after that, we made a lot of changes. Yeah. There was a lot of changes at home, you know, his job and moving and there was a lot of chaos and, you know, meeting new people and then becoming friends with Josh and just how all this lined up. It's just, that was his plan. And I am so grateful we are too. He feels the same way. He feels like he's, he's so grateful. And, and I know it's still a long road for you. I know it's still, you know, lots of healing um, that's happening that your body's working on doing, but I'm, I'm telling you like him and I both are in complete um, belief that your body can gain complete healing. Um, the, The Lord offers that, um, and it's, and it's nothing for you to think that, oh, could that really happen for me? No. Look at how he ordained and orchestrated all those things to line up so well. He loves you so, right. so much. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, like now, you know, before, you know, when I said that I, I really didn't feel like I could pray for, for healing because I, you know, so much had happened. I didn't, I just didn't feel like it was attainable for me. So I just prayed for stability. And then now I'm just like, look at what has happened, Mm -hmm. what I have gone through. And there's no way in my heart that I feel like he did not set this up for failure. Exactly. So I am, I am so blessed and so grateful. And it, it has definitely been a journey. It is still a journey. There is still so much that I am going through and, and having to, you know, do, and it's, it's going to be a lot of medical for the next few years, but I feel like every small victory is 
baby steps to something better. And we're getting there. We are getting there. Yeah. And what a growing process, not just for your body healing, but for relationships too. I'm sure you and Mason have been through so much. It just strengthens um, your bond and strengthens um, your relationship with each other. And I'm sure even with the Lord, um, when you go through stuff like that, it really brings you so much closer to him and relying on him for every little thing. Yeah. I remember... Oh man, they opened the curtain. We were in pre-op and they opened the curtain and I see Josh just smiling and waving. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it just got real. <laughs> and I just started crying and praying. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm next. I'm next. I'm next. Oh. oh. I remember that too. He asked the nurse, can I please go by and say hi to her before before we go under? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, and then, you know, it was my turn and I just, I remember going back there and being so nervous. And then I got up on the table and they were just, they were just talking to me and he said, it's okay. You're going to do great. We, we've got this. We do this every day. And he put something in my IV and he said, how do you feel? And I just, I remember giving him a thumbs up. And that's the last thing I remember. And I remember waking up in recovery. And I remember feeling like when I opened my eyes, I was like, we did it. I am alive. We did it. I feel very, very strange, but I am here. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Josh's first question when he came to, he was like, did it work? Did it work? (laughs) How is she? Did it work? (laughs) (laughs) That's how I feel at every ultrasound. Is everything okay? Does it look good? And and we love oh, we get updates, of course, from you all the time. But we we love all the updates. Just like yes, yes, just another thank you, Lord. You know that's awesome. It's it's great. I I feel like we keep getting closer and closer to you know that you know we're gonna throw a party. Exciting news. Yeah. <laughs> Because I feel like I don't, I don't ever get bad news, but it's, you know, tiny progress, tiny progress, tiny progress. And one of these days, it is just going to be spectacular. I agree. We are going to (laughs) leave. Yes. Yeah. But so also, you know, I'd love to share that, um, you know, after all of that happened to me with the seizures and developing that postpartum eclampsia, um, all of, uh, you know, the Hendrick Health OBGYNs, um, I was told, you know, by my doctor that they had like a whole medical team meeting uh, about me and my case and what happened and what went wrong and what could have been done and things like that. And so from what I understand is that, you know, because I am the guinea pig and because of everything that happened to me, they have developed um, certain protocols and, um, you know, policies and things for pregnant women who have preeclampsia. Um, and it's, it's almost like, if I'm understanding her correctly, I haven't seen one. I would love to see one. But for the women who are at risk of it, they have like a, essentially a care card that they can carry with them you know, with like medication, their doctor information, and if they were to need medical attention, uh, who to call and what to do and things like that. 
And I just think that's amazing. You know, I, I wish that it would have been in place for me, but I, I am also really grateful that, you know, it, it took it happening to me for them to realize that something needed to be done to help in those situations. And so I, I mean, I would love to see what it looks like. Well, Maybe I should just go, go ask. ask. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I'm thinking. Just, just go ask. Maybe I should just ask. You know, yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I think that's great. Um, you yeah, know, I hate that everything that I had to go through for right. them to get there, but. But at least some positive change was made for others for in the future. So yes. that's absolutely she, wonderful. Yes. She said that I, I definitely shook their world. <laughs> so, I bet. Like, I well, bet. I shook my world too. But. Yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> I'm sure like they can't imagine if, if it had been their, you know, loved one who was in there trying to advocate for herself and nobody listening. And then all of that happening, like, yeah, yeah I'm sure that really rocked them. And I'm glad, I'm glad it rocked them. Um, Cause that's how oh, you yeah. get change. Oh yeah. And it, it just shows, you know, it's, even though it's so rare and it's like one in a million, you never ever know when you're going to be that one in a million yeah. ever. True. And I felt like one in a million during my whole pregnancy. You've been through a yeah. lot. God's so good though. I, I love to see all the, all the praises and all the little things and everything. Just, just, you just see pointing to just healing and, and um, just such a, I don't know, a sweet, loving heavenly father. That's what I see when I see all these little things line up and I'm just like, oh God, (laughs) you're so awesome. It's amazing. Um, And you know, after my surgery and meeting some of the people who had surgeries around the same time as me and hearing their stories about the length of time, you know, they were on the wait list or how long they did dialysis before they could get a transplant. And it's, it's so sad how long it takes. It really is. And I wish there was more people that signed up to be living donors because I feel so blessed that I, I had a living donor and I was pre-dialysis just like my doctor said she wanted, you know, and it, it worked out so well. And I, I really wish that everybody else had that. And I know that they don't. But it's it's hard. I mean, I met a guy who was on dialysis for 11 years while he waited. Mm. And he had surgery two weeks before I did. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize, like I said, uh, Josh had never thought that that was something that he could do, you know, yeah. Um, while, you know, being a living donor. Mm-hmm. And had it occurred to him earlier, he might have already done it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm so thankful, yeah. you know, it hadn't ever occurred to him until you came along. And then it was like, oh, this is the perfect timing for that. But yeah, we'll actually, I'll try to link um, to a few sites that you can go to if if it's something that any of the listeners have ever thought about. I will say my husband was in pretty decent shape um, when he went in. I mean, he's a, you know, early 40 year old man and <clears throat> time comes, you know, your body changes a little bit. So he wouldn't, you know, a 20 something donating, but it it went great. And he, 
hasn't had any complications with it and he's not on meds or anything like that. He's done absolutely wonderful. His body's done, done great. And he's just continued to live his life yet got to make such a huge difference in your guys's life. And I'd encourage anybody else, um, who that kind of strikes them at all that go, go look into it. Um, go, go find out what it entails. See if you happen to be a match for somebody and are able to help save somebody's life like Brandy. Yes, that is such a blessing. And you, they do have the option to donate anonymously. And you don't even have to have your information out there. There yeah. are a lot of different options. Yeah, there is. I'll make sure we link some in the show notes. So please go check that out. If that's something that, uh, that, that you think you might be interested in. And uh, Brandy, I just want to thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast to, to share your story. I, I know it's, it's, it's been a lot you've been through so much and I really appreciate you being willing and vulnerable to just share that with the listeners and with me and, and uh, just uh, very, very thankful for you. Thank you for listening. May you be encouraged and strengthened by what you've heard today. Remember, you are dearly loved by your Creator, so be who He created you to be. May you go in peace, friends. Till next time, Shalom.